working today or not. Uh, okay, so Deja, Deja, Abby, you're here. Green light, green light. Oh green. no, wait, Deja, say something. I want to see your connection to Okay, good. Oh, wait, that's... Oh, 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 because I'm recording. So you're going to hear yourself... Uh-oh, oh, God. Oh, no. All right. I'm, I'm playing and recording on the same machine. Oh, I need... no, okay. Wait, can you go to Podomatic and record using that? I, I'm, I'm recording on my iPad. Can I... How about this? Yeah, I'm waiting to ask the professor until we get our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys, I'm gonna. No, wait, no, I can't do that. I'm going to. What am I gonna do? I can use Skype recorder. Oh, yeah, that's Abby. We'll do it. We'll do it for now. No, it doesn't work. It won't get everyone. We'll use Skype recorder. It's time we risk it. I'm not gonna be the guy who's recording it. Alright, fine. Okay. Skype recorder. Settled. Yes, everyone will be in it at this point. I will ask the questions. You people will operate. That's fine. I will do the introductory statements. Uh, I will let okay, the professor. Let me add. Okay. Adam. Yeah, Adam. I, I know, yeah. but I want to make sure that the professor Okay. All right. Okay. Yep. Okay, when I say go, be quiet, and then I'll add him in, okay? Okay, and then will the podcast begin, yes or no? Okay. okay. I'll, 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 I will ask if you're rolling, okay? Just to clarify. Okay, hello, Professor. We just had, we had some very interesting Skype problems. We have to, um, yes, yes, yes. A curse of the Palantir of Morgoth. Uh, we, we are currently recording with the Skype recorder because that, we couldn't figure out how to. Yeah, sadly, our garage band really went down the tubes. We have with us today, uh, of course, me. Um, uh, we have Abby. We have David from Hi. Australia. And we have Matt Lewis, one of my neighbors. So we're having a mega, mega, mega Skype. Hey, hi, how are you? Good, how are you? <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, well, all right. Okay. So, okay, so uh, we'll all here. It, it seems like everything's pretty good. Um, I, I believe, we'll, how about we just launch straight into our little program here? Uh, sure. I would like to try to introduce. What were the Inklings? Because we're actually calling our podcast The Inklings. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing which I recognized early in the beginning is we couldn't fit in the actual definition of the original club, um, consisting of Lewis, um, Charles Williams, and, of course, Tolkien himself, um, in the earlier podcast. So I thought we'd give a little brief introduction. And I thought to do that, um, Corey, I thought you'd be, you know, a perfect candidate. Your knowledge in Tolkien goes even far, being, you know, of course, an academic expert. So, um, without further ado, I'm going to give us just what do you know so far about how the Inklings formed, their members, and, you know, their associations. Um, and then we'll go into their legacy towards the end. All right. Sure, sure. Um, well, basically, the Inklings were a, were a very informal group. One kind of misunderstanding that sometimes people have about the Inklings is uh, they sort of think about it as something like an official club with sort of regular meetings and things like that. And although they did have regular meeting times, um, they were very informal, especially in their membership. There was no – you never really knew who was going to show up each week, though obviously there were um, – there you know, were some people who were there very regularly, and the one person who seemed to be completely indispensable, that is, the one who actually hosted in his own rooms most of their meetings, was C.S. Lewis. He was really sort of the heart of Inklings, and that's why there. when you look at the memberships, C.S. Lewis is kind of the one thing that everybody involved had had, had in common, um, and he was he was really sort of the, the kind of nexus of it. But it wasn't actually Lewis who was the initial sort of starter up of this trend. Uh, I mean, the Inklings, they were a bunch of primarily Oxford people, though not everyone in the Inklings actually lived in Oxford, at least not the whole time. Um, but the, the meetings actually started when Tolkien got together a group of people, uh, to read Old Norse epic. Basically, Tolkien was sort of making friends with people. This was soon after he moved up to Oxford. He was teaching at Leeds University first. He was teaching Old English there, and he uh, he took a post at, at Oxford. Um, he had been been there before, of course, as a student, and he was now coming back as a as a son. And he um, and he was basically wanting to sort of convince people that Old Norse epic was, you know, was, was, was very readable and that you could just, like, sit around and enjoy it. So he started a group which was called uh, the Coal Biters. Um, that's the English translation of the Old Norse uh, word that, that he used. Um, and uh, the Coal Biters was, were called that because they, they sat so near the fire that it was like they were biting the coals. But anyway, um, so the Coal Biters was a, as, as an informal group, which included C.S. Lewis, and which got together to read, as I said, to read. And they read through, like, the entire corpus of Old Norse epic poetry. And when that was done, basically, the Inklings kind of grew out of it. Uh, Lewis and Tolkien had, been, had become close friends, and they were um, – you know, had asked him to meeting regularly, and so the the group sort of shifted its focus. Uh, Lewis and Tolkien had long since discovered their both their mutual interest in uh, in in northern poetry and northern epic, and they had uh, and they knew that they both liked the same kind of books. And they this was before either of them uh, had really published anything. Um, certainly had published any fantasy writings of their own, um, but they knew they were both interested in in the same kind of book. So they started getting started reading to each other stuff that they had written. Uh, Tolkien had read uh, read to Lewis some of the uh, Silmarillion stuff that he had read and lent him his early uh, version of the the poetic form of the story of Baron and Luthien, um, which which Lewis really loved. And uh, anyway, so they they. Uh, 
this was that, that was basically the beginning of the Inklings. And other people involved, besides Lewis and Tolkien and Charles Williams, a little bit later, um, those are the three the, the three most famous Inklings because those are the three who actually went on to publish most in the in the realm of fantasy literature. Um, but there were many others who were involved with, uh, especially friends with Lewis, um, Lewis's own brother, for instance, Warney, um, who was who was in the army. Um, he was a frequent guest at the Inklings. Their mutual friend Hugo Dyson was often there. Um, Lewis's uh, friend, the philosopher, and also I, if I'm remembering correctly, he was actually working as a lawyer during as his day job. Um, uh, uh, Owen Barfield. Um, so there were a bunch of people who would uh, who would come by, um, but Lewis and Tolkien were really sort of the heart of it, and as I said, especially Lewis. And they would meet usually either down at the pub, down at the Eagle and Child, which was their favorite pub, or they would meet uh, in Lewis's rooms in Magdalen College in Oxford. Well, you know, that's uh, oh, really interesting. Yeah, it really is interesting because we we hear a lot about, um, especially Lewis and Tolkien. I mean, there's there's huge books on the subject. But I always feel, and uh, especially with the coal biters, they're not really mentioned as much outside books regarding Tolkien. Because Tolkien's love of Norse epics, especially, you know, the Volsunga Sagas, the Eldoreda, um, mm-hmm. it, it's something which, you know, I think it was covered on an episode of The Secrets of Middle-Earth. How, you know, these texts today in modern literature don't get the same attention. I mean, I believe um, on that same podcast they were talking about how there was uh, two faction, uh, warring against each other, kind of, you know, in a polite, dignified fashion in Oxford at the time. One really wanted to support um, earlier Norse texts, um, in which Tolkien was, you know, key. And the other faction wanted to support more later writings after Chaucer. Um, and this included things like, you know, Shakespeare and other, you know, to them, more contemporary, though, you know, of course, we consider them today as, you know, more morals. Um, and that was normally uh, supported by Lewis. So, you know, in terms of their meeting and their academic schedules, it was definitely very, very interesting uh, scene of affairs. Now, you know, uh, do you know of any good film adaptations depicting the Inklings? I know there's a book called Looking for the Lost King. I have not read it yet. I forget who wrote it um, about, you know, some, some of the Inklings. Uh, namely, I think Charles uh, Williams was a huge influence in that. Yeah, and, he was. And, and uh, though Lewis and Tolkien are, are both about Lewis a little bit more. Yeah, um, and uh, no, that, but no, that that book isn't really about the Inklings. It sort of features I, them. They kind of come in as as not exactly minor characters, but uh, yeah. but they're they're not the main characters, um, and it isn't really their story. Um, no, I don't know of any really. In fact, this was a, a conversation I had with a couple of people a little while back. Actually, um, in fact, it was uh, in in the the, uh, the podcast that I recorded with John D. Bartolo and oh, Ted Naismith yeah. a little while back, yeah, when we were talking about this, there's there's not been a good treatment of Tolkien's life in general um, and of the Inklings in particular, which is a little bit surprising because, as you say, I think that, that, you know, the Inklings is certain, you know, they are certainly, like, as an idea, you know, something which really captures people's imagination, I think, you know, these great... These these great you know these great minds and these you know people who became such such famous and beloved authors and knowing their friendship with each other and their support of each other you know this 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 it's it's a very attractive idea yeah I don't know of a good film version of it I mean there's there's been you know the one very high profile treatment of C.S. Lewis's life uh, in the Shadowlands the Anthony Hopkins film uh, oh, several years ago. Um, 
but that's the only thing that's the only film that I know of that has really um, you know been sort of a, a a pretty big production that has really done much at all with 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 either of their lives and of course the Inglings that that was interested really just in his marriage to Joy Davidman and wasn't really very interested in the Inklings at all so. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things, especially, I mean, the only reason why I actually know about the book was actually through that earlier podcast. I haven't found it, found it actually, myself. And I believe that has to do more with, you know, Arthurian romances, I think, was in yeah. Arthur. Um, yes. And, and, you know, it is really tantalizing topic. But, you know, the thing is, especially trying to dramatize the Inklings, I mean, that, that would be a completely new scope of, you know, field and of research. I mean, just trying to put together this group, the reason why I thought of it as a name is because right now we are involved in several different very intense little writing projects. Several of them you've heard Well, well, you call them big. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, yes. Monsters, uh, maybe. Yeah. Titanic, all right. Yeah, okay, all right. Okay, I'm, I'm underscoring something which is devoted hours and hours and hours of our time. Yeah. Um, sure. yeah the, the thing is, I mean, I, I think, Corey, you've, you've heard me mention these a lot. Just of course, mm-hmm. it was my um, unofficial and yet unedited uh, prequel, not sequel, sorry, prequel, sequel to Lord of the Rings, The Dominion of Man, composed of a trilogy which probably will never get published. Also, if I tried to publish it in Russian or something like Nick Paramov, which I'm not going to do. No, 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 KGB, do not attack me. Yes, it's a little program. The governments of the world, you know. Also, I, I, I have a little story about that. Okay, so he. I met John because I was on Twitter, and uh, he was posting all these audio tweets, and I was like, oh, well, you know, he's probably a Lord of the Rings fan. So I got his story a little while later. I think that was the end of the introduction. I yeah. stayed up until 12 a.m., and that night I had this extreme about the Silmarillion. Because, really <laughs> I mean, I go back to the Silmarillion a lot, and the thing is, I mean, because primarily of the uh, seminars, um, yeah, I always just love getting involved in, in them, Corey. I mean, just, especially just for tomorrow, if you can send me the topics, because I don't know if Dale will get to it. I mean, chaos, sorry. Um, slip. Uh, but anyway, you know, I, as you can tell, you know, it's one of the things which I had written actually before I even got on the podcast, but it was one of the things I was thinking of doing for a while. But when I found out publication was impossible through the estate, I began doubling back into my earlier mythologies, and I wound up with right now when Matthew Lewis, puts here comes a great detail about um, a, a novel which in its style and form is like the Silmarillion in a lot of forms. It's, it's almost like a huge myth. It covers only probably 160 pages, but it's depth and scope-wise. It's called Path of Wisdom. The idea is it would be an ancient elven text from a very Middle-earth-like you know, world which would be re- rewritten sort of in a Catholic context by a, uh, a monk, sort of like Beowulf. In fact, the whole beginning was partially inspired from Babel. So, you know, there was a lot of, you know, things like, you know, oh, the Spear Danes, how they crowded aboard their warlike ships and things like that, which I, I write normally in that form and style. Now, what happened over time, it, the mythology grew huge. I met um, Deja Morris here, who's working on her own novel, um, The Glass Doll Chronicles, and I offered my services to, act, you know, have my mythology stand as a back history to a lot of her work, which I viewed as being very much a the third, we were having huge literary discussions. I had already met Abby. Abby, you know, had considerably taken great interest in Dom of Man, and we were going through a lot of, you know, earlier texts. Right now, 
um, because of the criticism from many of my critics, and I do have critics among uh, some very serious, nutty purist factions. Um, yes, yes. Um, they always claim, you write too seriously. You, you write like, you know, Tolkien writing the film. So, right now, working on a horrible fanfic, uh, Lord of the Rings with Zombies, actually. It's uh, horrible. It's, 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 it's not to be taken seriously. Don't worry. It's, it's a joke. It's a complete <laughs> joke. I, I can't believe I'm even embarking on such a quest. Uh, we were wondering if you would ask. If you, uh, Professor Olsen, would you mind if you were in our story? Because we want a, a Professor Olsen-like <laughs> figure to be captured. Yeah, well, the thing is, the whole... I'd be honored to be a zombie. That would be, that would be excellent. <laughs> it's like, the, the, whole, the whole zombie thing is that the people who play Lotro become zombies. This is me with too much time on me. Um, now, one thing which I was experimenting with, especially in the the, the sequel universe, was trying to deal with a, a kind of a, a very silly return of Morgoth. Um, and going over the Silmarillion, really, I was like, you know, a complete what if. I think it was experimented, and the quite fascinating topic of the big Lord of Dagorah, you know, the final battle. And I was I was picking, you know, certain parts of it, and I was working it together. And I had already begun this, you know, this, this very quaint fanfic. Um, and I, I, I was just adding a complete twist to it. And one of the elements regarding the, uh, the return of Morgoth was he would have captured Jackson and was trying to release the quote-unquote Morgoth the movie, end quote. I just wrote the script this morning. It, it's hilarious. It's, it's twisting too many characters. Uh, Feyenoord just hands over the summer rolls with no problem. There's an assassination attempt on Sinway. It's pretty, pretty funny. Fanfic universe. I, I really never considered myself a fanfic writer until I ever did this period. So, for me, as definitely a more of a very, very serious writer in terms of my um, writing, this is kind of completely out of the box for me. But it's so, it's really funny to be working with this. You know, Abby, I'm sure you can add exposition. Uh, it's a great of, idea to kind of branch out like that. You know, what I mean, and it's it's one thing I think that can be really productive from. Uh, you know, the kinds of collaborations and the kinds of, uh, of um, you know, groups like the Inklings. I mean, they, you know, they really kind of push each other in different ways, and there are things which Tolkien only because, you know, he had been encouraged or challenged by other members of the Inklings to do, and there are, um, and there are things that he, you know, th- th- there is certainly he was encouraged to, to complete the things that he had done, especially The Hobbit, um, which was, you know, according to some accounts, pretty close to not being completed. I mean, he stopped it for a long time, right at about the time when Smaug was about to die, right when Smaug storms off towards Lake Town. Uh, he had stopped writing The Hobbit, and he had left it for like a year, and it was only when uh, when he was encouraged by C.S. Lewis that he uh, he finally picked it up again and finished it. So, well, I um, like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I will leave things for like a long time, and I'll just never finish them. Maybe, maybe people in this group will be able to like, con- I don't know, maybe I'll be able to speak to well, Tolkien or something. Hey, hey. you yeah, know, I mean, I, I've been, I've been I'm really begging um, Abby to finish um, a fanfic called The Ties That Bind Us earlier. Um, and I'm actually writing that as an extension of her own writing. But no, uh, oh, Deja, you wanted to say something, right? I think Deja? it's a really interesting story and uh, definitely should get it finished. Can you hear me? Yeah, no, I'll get it finished, I swear. <laughs> Seriously, no, it, it's one of those things where it's like getting together 
the game's going to be a, like, you know, a complete plethora of ideas. I think, um, Deja, you, you can talk about how we've got in on email. Mm-hmm. And there'll be times where our Skype is not working. And we're flooding each other's email accounts. Because uh, we're just, like, doing it, like, instant messaging almost, like, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. <laughs> oh, completely ridiculous. Hey, no, we're more than modern inklings. Hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> hey, well, hey that, why do you think I named you as a podcast? I was like, yeah, well, this is... Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that it's it's definitely a... Um, uh, it's one of the things that certainly the inklings other and that I think is can, is very useful is not not only having an audience um, but uh, but you know getting encouragement and even just knowing that there are other people listening I mean as as again I think it was one of the things that kept talking to the task of writing the Lord of the Rings which he was doing for 14 years it took him a long time to write the Lord of the Rings and he he but he had been reading it uh, to the inklings and in installments all the way through and so you know there are their, you know, kind of benevolent pressure on him is, you know, he knew that they were going to be waiting to hear the next bit was definitely one of the things that, 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 that got him going. So not only is it, you know, can it be a kind of affirmation when you get, when you hear what, you know, what other people whose opinions you value really, really, you know, really think, you know, if they, if they, if they actually are interested in it or care about it. And, uh, and then to have that kind of, that kind of, Pressure and encouragement is also a really good thing. So, no, I mean, totally interesting. Um, I, I honestly, you know, in class we do a lot of creative writing, and on my own it came sort of out of a desire just to have stories finished or more fleshed out. Um, I mean, I've been doing this for you know quite a while in terms of just fleshing out my own mythology. Um, but the problem is, going along, you know, it, it kind of sucks when you're halfway through. You know, like, yeah, if this doesn't get published, which is you know, always a 99.9% chance of everything. He was going to read it, <laughs> which is great right. to have, you know, fellow academic friends here, and we're, we're all talking, and we're all discussing these very same facts. Um, and, you know, if, for example, um, Deja, how would you share the, the, the funny experience of me writing the appendices to, you know, your work, TGC, the Global Chronicles, um, where I want a huge, I actually wrote um, the creation myth in short form. Almost like you would see in the Book of Lost Tales, you know? Uh, but Deja, would you like to elaborate upon that one? Or? Um, yeah, so basically, uh, oh, can you hear me? Uh, can you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so basically what yeah, I, yeah. so basically what I did was I'm writing the Glasshaw Chronicles and John wrote the appendices and then he wrote a sort of prequel to, was it a, a prequel? Yeah, a prequel to the Glasshaw Chronicles. And so we um, basically put our what? our books into a into the same universe, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's been it's interesting because what what I did is um, after I wrote my mythology, which is too large to ever be published, and then probably won't be published. Only excerpts probably will be be you know, be details like. You know, my own version of, let's say, a children of her like story, like Path of Wisdom. Um, as soon as I had that, and I learned about the Glassball Chronicles, um, I had written a long alliterative verse poem, uh, which is very much like Lucian's video, um, called, you know, Thomas Rogland and Elmaudian. Um, and that covered only around, like, 40, 50 pages. Uh, yeah, and that was, I was, I was, I was upset. Yeah, so what happened was I went back, and going through, 
Um, I thought there was a lot of mentions to earlier history, which wasn't really fleshed out in TGC, the Class Ball Chronicles, which Stacey wrote. So I, I decided to rewrite the book. And I went ahead, and it came up with, like, you know, I was up to page 140, 150, and I lost all my books. So I had to rewrite, I'd probably say, half of it or a good body of it. Um, and that's only half the tale so far. I need to cover the other half. Um, and, of course, then I'm also trying to work on publish, you know, publishing Path of Wisdom, which is its own world of, you know, um, different academic storm of editing, because my editing, as Abby, I think, has wonderfully alluded to in greatest detail, is it's horrible. Oh, it's, it's not. It's okay. It, see, I I write my style of writing, and if, if I make a mistake, immediately go back and fix it. I cannot. I, I cannot just like just like write and not fix anything. It's just like. So I, I, I read I read John's work, and I was like, oh boy, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I mean, I, I think um we. Everyone, um, you know, here is actually, you know, on my work and probably relate to the, the moment when you finally get the email and you start opening up on a, let's say, a portable device like an iPad or an iPhone and the thing is stalling and the thing is almost like, you know, cracking with, you know, complete, like, malfunctioning. You open it, right? And here you have a manuscript, but not one word is edited. That's my... Well, actually, okay, you, you, your spelling is pretty good. Really? I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised if... I'm really surprised you saying it. Anyway, thank you. Thank no, you. No, but the problem is you need to. Okay, no offense. You need to look up the names. The names are really important. And I had to look up like how to spell the you names. You mean with the with the Tolkien? Yeah, yeah, no, the Tolkien. I had to look um, up the names because I I don't know what they were saying. I didn't know. All right. Yeah. No. 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 Because a lot of what I do is on audio, of course. Um. So right. it's like an audio adaptation. You know, um, Rob English pronounces it one way. Martin Shaw. Odd, interesting pronunciations. Um, so it's, it's always been like. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. I'm not like I'm not. No, 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 no. I, I, Abby, I know you too long to. I, I fully understand where you're coming from. Trust me. I mean, you know, um, Joey. I mean, like, you know, when you were, um, you know, in high school and especially you know college, did you ever consider writing your own mythos and your own mythology? What was your take on that? Yeah. Well, okay. The answer to that question is not exactly yes. Uh, when I was in high school, I did do a lot of writing, and I definitely, uh, you know, when I was uh, in you know, junior senior high school, I definitely saw myself as, like, a future fantasy author. Uh, that is no question. That was how I saw myself. Uh, and I had started, though I'd gotten less far than Tolkien even, uh, before I before I, I stopped it. But, um so, I mean, I, de- I definitely had a fantasy novel that I started, and... and, and, and but basically, what stopped me, I think, or what really was hindering my own writing was essentially that I hadn't done uh, what you were describing. That is exactly what my stories were primarily meant, was exactly that kind of back working out of things. I was, uh, you know, I was always myself so much more interested in thinking about the actual plot and the actual story that I did not spend nearly enough time working out the back details and world building and, and, uh, and things like that. So that was for me what seemed my own early fantasy novel. Um, but, uh, so that, I mean, I, I, and, and that certainly is something that I have come to, uh, to, you know, to, 
to really appreciate uh, more through reading Tolkien, of course. I mean, that's something that I, you know, obviously that is so admirable uh, about him is the extent to which he did that. Now, of course, he kind of took it not quite to the other extreme, but um, but close, actually, where, you know, he would get so caught up in doing that that he would that he would end up, you know, leaving his stories behind entirely in order to, you know, like, return to his lexicon and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> but that's definitely, uh, um, yeah, but, but, but I do think that that's, I mean, and for me, even when I'm reading fantasy novels now, I mean, I, I find that to be still the biggest determiner of what I think is really a successful fantasy novel or not is, you know, to what extent does the story really invite you, and again, to use total terminology, does it inspire secondary belief? You know, does it really draw you into its own sub-creation? And, you know, good fantasy novels do that. And, and you know, and ones which haven't really thought that through, um, even if they're a good story, it, it's, you know, then the whole project of its being a, a fantasy story tends to kind of fall apart. And I think that people who are not, who don't write, um, who basically are not into world building, probably shouldn't write uh, fantasy because that's it's such it's such an essential part. If there's going to be stuff about your world that you're writing that is that is different, you know, that is that is that is you know sort of marvelous and fantastical, then you really need to get your readers to invest in it. Uh, and if they don't, then um, you know, then even if they like the story, there it's it's not going to it's not going to go all that far, and it sort of might as well not be a fantasy yeah, 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 almost at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, I would even point to, uh, you know, to, to use this sort of obvious recent example. Uh, that's the thing that is the drawing into the fantasy world. It's the thing that J.K. Rowling does so well in the Harry Potter books. I mean, that's... Oh, that's, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing that, I mean, even though, I mean, there are lots... That I, that I don't really like about the Harry Potter books, but that they do really, really well, and it makes up for a lot of things. No, and you know, it's one of those things, especially about J.K. Rowling. And honestly, I don't know if this is safe to do on our part, but when I read J.K. Rowling, I can't help but make connections to Tolkien. I mean, there's just little subtle things and some things which are less subtle. Um, the Infuri, especially, um, you know, the, the horse, the ring, the horse, the magical eye, the magical eye, magical. It's things which we have constantly been recognizing, and we've been going back and forth about it. But the thing is, like, we don't know if he's more intentionally done or whether it just it slips in. Because I mean, we do that all the time. I, I've done it. And I've caught myself halfway through and be like, "Well, you know, my character is very similar to you know Morgoth slash Melkor, and you know, it's, it's little things like that where there's so many parallels." But you know, I was wondering what what your thoughts were on that matter. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, this I think that. Basically, that's been one of the consequences of Tolkien's success is that, I mean, he so redefined the genre of fantasy and fairy stories that it's very difficult for fantasy writers to kind of escape that. And you see even very good and very successful fantasy writers sometimes never leave it behind. And um, it, Michael Drought uh, sometimes says uh, that... Uh, you know, all fantasy writers seem to have to get, like, Tolkien knockoff out of their system before they can finally, you know, find themselves and, and, and write their own stuff. Yeah, I will say the, to the worst Tolkien knockoff that I've seen is The Forgotten Realms. Like, seriously, mm. they yeah. have stuff that has, like, 
stuff is Tolkien. It's like yeah. Well, I mean, mo- most of the, uh, Tolkien, uh, Tolkien's books are so influential to not just the Forgotten Realms, but really the whole Dungeons and, Dra- and Dragons set up from the beginning. So, I mean, any of the books that have their grounding um, ultimately uh, in the Dungeons and Dragons world uh, are necessarily going to be um, very sort of similar to Tolkien. I mean, Tolkien was kind of unashamedly the starting point uh, that, you know, when when uh, Gary Gygax was sitting there trying to, you know, essentially devise a fantasy world for, for gaming, he, he you know, started with Tolkien's and used Tolkien's very consistently. Uh, it's not that everything in Dungeons & Dragons is, is it's straight from Tolkien. There are differences, of course, but it's very harmonious. So basically, and that, that, that then goes all the way through everything that was that was basically sort of inspired by it and comes from it, so things like that. But even even authors, I mean, one of the, the most egregious example I can think of is uh, Terry Brooks's book, yeah, The Sword of yeah, Shannara. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Holy cow. Yeah, I mean, I read The Sword of Shannara. Really. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean... It's, I, it's it, it's like it's like you know I mean the the, the they're so transparent you know like yeah. the Gimli Legolas pairing and the Boromir character and the I mean it's just it's you know the Frodo and Sam and Gandalf Gandalf yeah. that's so wouldn't you say it's basically a fanfic of Lord of the Rings? Well, it's 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 pretty close to that. I mean, it it's basically I mean I, I do think that it's genuinely trying to. Do its own thing, and there's yeah. there are some efforts, some genuine efforts that he's made that he made at world building in that book, which you know are not entire. I mean, like his whole concept of cre- creating essentially a post-apocalyptic fantasy world, obviously, is very different from Tolkien's setup. So he's looking, you know, towards a post-apocalyptic future instead of back towards the distant past. But, um, but uh, but the actual story and the actual characters. Are, are 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 straight out of Tolkien. Now he is a good example. He's he's sort of the classic example of um, what Michael Drought was talking about, though. Because then after the sort of Shannara, when he then writes the sequel in the Elfstones of Shannara, he actually writes a book which is not just a Tolkien knockoff and really does its own thing and is a much better book. I mean, holy cow, it's like a twenty times better book oh, uh, than the sort of Shannara. But then so, the third one. Sorry to interrupt. Anything in the third book, though, in the series, I mean, you had things like the characters which were like the race, and you had things like, you know, uh, there was a book, like the One Ring, named the Ildatch, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah there were, like, cool things there, which, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself for, like, the starting. No, it's true, that, it's yeah. true, and I mean, and I think that it's, you know, one of the things which has been kind of, I, you know, I don't know, an issue that I have with, uh, um, with Terry Brooks, Right through is that I think he's he he he. I don't think he ever really fully and completely um, leaves things behind. Not just Tolkien, but there are other things as well that he basically just kind of incorporates, and and it's fine, you know, like whatever. It's you know, one doesn't have to be one hundred percent original in everything one does. But uh, that's true. But how did he get away with it? I mean, his name must have like gone crazy, right? No, not really. I mean, see, the thing is, is that the, the estate's primary concern is not that, you know, nobody writes anything like, but basically that nobody, they want to protect the integrity of the legacy. So they come down on people who are using Tolkien's names and words and who are, who are sort of... Like that, the novel or whatever. Exactly. That, because, I mean, if you look at that one, 
even just look at the cover of that book, and it's it's got the runes and stuff. I mean, it, it's designed to look as if it were one of the Tolkien books, and it says prominently on the title page, a J.R.R. Tolkien novel. Now, I mean, it means by that a novel about J.R.R. Tolkien and not a novel by him, but basically the estate really objects to anything like that because they say, look, we don't want there to be any confusion in people's minds. Like, we don't want anybody to be releasing something which looks like it's been sanctioned by the Tolkien estate or even, you know, looks like it was... Um, you know, that was basically, and they, they don't want anything unauthorized to look like it was authorized at all. Yeah, that's true, and that's, yeah, that makes sense. Just like, yeah. I just, yeah, that was an interesting example. And yeah. the thing, one thing which is, though, um, kind of underlying our whole thoughts about the Merklin novels, is we've been unable to get um, a good copy of it that's been accessible. Um, I just want to read it and see what it's about. Yeah, we, we all just want to read it. We want, we want to get a hold of it and just devour it. I mean, what a... Whatever it is, you know. Or, you yeah. know I, I heard of something about the Tolkien character. It was like a character in the novel, right? Yeah, basically, he it's it's uh, it's sort of a fictional, sort of fantasized account of of Tolkien's own history and his own dis, in sort of the sort of this fictional treatment of his own discovery of the. Uh, of the legendarium material, basically, and um, I don't. I mean, it's interesting. The, the guy, the guy who wrote it, actually sent me an email before he published it. He was sort of hoping, I think, that I would, uh, you know, read the read the manuscript and plug it. I think because he was self-publishing it, so you know, he oh, was kind okay. of doing his own uh, doing his own uh, uh, marketing and stuff. So I think he he was sort of hoping that I would plug it. Um, and I didn't get a chance to uh, to read it before all the you know the news came out about it. But um, uh, but anyway, so I mean I, that's that's basically what I know from the description that he wrote to me of uh, of what it was about. And I mean, and it's it's kind of interesting, but I think it's it's really you know when when you when you sort of cross that line, it gets really it gets really tricky. And and that's the thing that the Tolkien estate is going to be really defensive about. Uh, you know, they don't, you know, they, they, they have a reputation. Um, a lot of people think that they're just like, you know, these cold hearted money grubbing, um, you know, people, they're not, I mean, I, and I keep telling people this, they don't care about money. If they cared about money, they would have a completely different strategy. What they care about, the only thing they care about is the integrity of the books. And in fact, um, they will, rather than trying to profit off stuff, they will they, they will just shut them down. If they, if they think that this kind of you know calls into question or 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 is going to lead to some kind of um, you know watering down of Tolkien stories or or uh, you know it's going to sort of bring Tolkien stories into some kind of disrepute or something in their judgment or whatever, they will they will just shut it down. They're not going to try to capitalize on it. They're going to try to shut it down. Um, so yeah, I mean they've been they've been very consistent to that to that policy and Interesting. that's, that's what they really, did. I mean yeah. I just I never really thought about it. I was like, well, and I do admit I did think that they were kind of a little bit mean, but now I understand it a little better. Yeah, yeah, I mean I don't want I mean I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't necessarily support all the stuff that they do, and I mean, I think that there are certainly there have been some stories that I've read where it, you know, sort of seems a little bit hard, but, uh, but I mean, it's certainly I can sort of respect their motivation again. Although, you know, if perhaps if I were in charge, I might not have made all the same decisions. I, I nevertheless, I think, um, you know, what they're doing, it's certainly it's certainly not like they're just trying to, uh, you know, to to make a buck and monopolize. Uh, on on talking stuff. So the only, the only thing I just 
the only thing I don't like about it is it, this author, I mean, an author has taken, like, I don't know, a year or whatever, six months to write this top story, and then it's, like, shut down. What are they going to yeah. do? It's kind of... It's, I mean, that's, 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 it's, from the author's perspective, that's why yeah, I'm trying I'm, to... It's, it's a lot from their perspective, and mm. the thing is, I, you know, I, I really respect the whole motives of the estate. I think the estate definitely has, you know, I, I think the, the right mindset in terms of trying to protect Tolkien. But then also, you, have, you know, once again, as Abby just pointed out, I mean, you have an author who, I mean, you know, I know from writing Path of Wisdom, which is being edited now chapter by chapter arduously, um, yeah. how, how hard it is to try to work out, you know, a book in terms of how you sit down and write just regularly. I mean, my earlier mythos was written more like offhand. I there'd be huge breaks, even years in between. Um, I, I, I really hadn't written anything regularly. Um, and if I had done that all on Tolkien, only on Tolkien, um, then, you know, I, I think I'd be, you know, horrified. But the Dom of Man, by the end of it, I was like, there's no way this is a getting published, so there's no big deal to begin with. Um, but, you know... If, if I had seriously and actually genuinely, you know, went back to every single nitty-gritty detail, and I, I did some research, I, I think, you know, it would have been, you know, completely... It would have been kind of... Yeah, it would have been... Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the, 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 the one thing that I would say about it, and I don't know if this is sort of a consolation, but... Uh, all the publicity that he got through the lawsuit certainly meant that in the end he definitely sold more copies than I think he would have had he not been shut down. So, so you know, uh, it's it's uh, on the one hand, you know, I think it was the, perhaps sort of a bit of a win for him in that way, though you know maybe it wouldn't have felt like that. But um, but that, that's the one thing that makes me not feel too sad about it. But yeah, no, I mean. Unfortunately, I have to go uh, uh, oh, yeah. now. I, I can hear my, uh, my my family clamoring over there in the next room. Okay. There, but uh, very good. Thank you very much for you know. Yeah, thank you so much. You are really no problem. It was fun no, talking to you. No, seriously. I mean, we're, you know, we're great admirers of all your work, and mm. it's it's great having you, especially on this podcast. Maybe you know, future episodes we could work out something. But I understand you have a lot going on. And I'm sorry for. You know, interrupting or acting as distraction. Thank you very much. And Thank you so much. Hopefully, yeah. tomorrow we can uh, we can chat more on your own, Cinderella and Summer House. Okay. Great. Great. Oh, well, thanks great. for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. No, no problem. Bye. Thanks.